Please join me in an attitude of prayer. Holy and gracious God, Lord, for this day, we give you thanks together as your church today. Lord, may your spirit descend upon us and unite us together through your spirit. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So we are now officially in the Easter season. And much like Christmas, Easter is not just one day long, right? Every Christmas I tell you, Christmas isn't just one day. It's 12 days, right? (laughs) Easter is the same. Easter is not one day long. It is 50 days long. But the ham gravy only lasts for one day, so you want to eat that up quick, okay? (laughs) But it's 50 days long for, uh, for Easter, and it ends on Pentecost, which is known as the birthday of the church. But also on Pentecost, we like to bring in new members to our church. And so in confirmation class, I stress to the students that it is up to them to decide whether or not they will join the church. I stress to them that this is not just a hoop to jump through. This is not just another good thing that they should think they should have to do. This is a serious, lifelong commitment. And when we become members, we make a number of vows to the church that we are then expected to uphold. And one of those vows we make is that we promise to uphold the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And we talk about what each of those means and then how they can uh, live into that vow that they will make. But my favorite part of every confirmation class I have ever been a part of um, in the last seven years of my ministry have been the mentors and their reactions as I teach the class. Almost every mentor I have had in some way exclaims at one point or another that this is uh, all brand new information to them, that this is really fascinating. They didn't know this before. So they're learning right along with the students. And it's not to say that the mentor's confirmation or catechism wasn't um, adequate, right? Like, I'm sure you just had different things stressed to you um, in your confirmation class. Um, Maybe also, perhaps, um, it's just been a while since we reviewed this information, and we tend to forget it. Um, So I kind of been thinking about that and thought how fun it would be to refresh all of our memories, in particular about the vows that we make when we became members of the church and what that means. So specifically for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how we are to support the church through our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. And the point of this series is not to just remind you of your vows, which, I mean, we all should be reminded of them every now and again. But right now, as you know, we are very divided, politically and culturally, but also as a greater United Methodist Church, we're very divided. And so I think it's more important than ever to focus on what unites us rather than what divides us. 
What makes us the church together versus what drives us away from the other? And so hopefully over the next five weeks, we will feel more united as a church together. And so the first vow we're going to look at today is to support the church by our prayers. And I thought before we could talk about how we are the church together in prayer today, I thought it would be more important to start with a tradition of prayer in our church. So our passage from Acts chapter 1 shows us the importance the first believers placed in prayer. And to just kind of give us a sense of timeline and context, this passage is before Pentecost, so before the gift of the Holy Spirit, but they had just witnessed the ascension of Jesus going back to heaven. So this is post-resurrection, and um, we're almost to the end of our 50 days of Easter. And this is what it happens. And so it says that they witnessed the, the ascension, and then the believers returned back to Jerusalem and devoted themselves to constant prayer. And what is interesting is that the author is very specific of who is gathered together in prayer. It mentions all 11 disciples by name, plus Jesus' mother Mary, plus his brother, plus woman. That is a lot of people, and that is very specific to mention who joined them. So I guess my first thought was, why is the author so specific in naming who is gathered together? Your guess is probably as good as mine, but I do have a couple of guesses. So the first guess that I had was to remind us of who remained Jesus' followers um, in the beginning after his ascension. And I believe it was more to make a point of how much their community would grow in a very short period of time. But my other guess is to remind us that no matter who they were, they, they were united in one way, through prayer. If you think about it, they had just walked through Jesus' ministry, his death, his resurrection. They spent time with him post-resurrection. And then they just witnessed his ascension into heaven. That is a lot for them to take in. They needed to take time to process what they had gone through and seen, and they needed to be together to do that good work. The only other people in the world, quite literally, who knew what they were going through were those in the room with each other. They needed to support each other and to help each other understand what had happened. And they did that by supporting one another through prayer. The other important piece of our passage comes from the second half, and it says that Peter stood up and addressed the group and declared that it was important to choose a 12th disciple to replace Judas. And so it says that they devoted themselves to prayer to decide who that should be. And it also says that they cast lots to make that decision. Um, And I want to explain that 
process for just a brief moment. This is a, a total aside, okay? <laughs> so casting lots is, um, you probably had heard that term multiple times, more so in the Old Testament, but you do hear some of it in the New Testament, even with the first believers. Casting lots was like their way of deciphering God's will for them. It was stones or sticks that had markings on them, and they would kind of shake them up, throw them down, and then interpret the results. And however the results were interpreted, it was seen as God's will. And so it was kind of their way of figuring out what God wanted them to do. Um, I had kind of like a couple of thoughts of what it's kind of like. It's kind of like a divinely inspired game of dice. Like, you know, you shake up your dice, you throw it down, you know, kind of, then you interpret it. Um, I was thinking more of, though, like a divinely inspired game, a short straw. <laughs> you know, if nobody wants to do it, right, you break one straw in half and then amongst a bunch of long straws and then whoever draws the short straw wins or loses in some cases. <laughs> Think of it kind of like that. It's really probably not even a good analogy, but... It's probably the best that we could come up with today. Um, and um, I just kind of wanted to bring that up to you. Um, and, you know, the kind of the thing that we need to remember is that this is a, that was a very old Jewish tradition. And we have to remember the first followers were Jewish people. So they brought their traditions with them into the first days and years of being new believers. Um, I will say, though, um, I didn't know much about this until I read up on it this week. And um, one interpretation that I came up with, um, that I read, um, of why they didn't keep doing it was that after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit was given, that became our way to have um, God speak to us, to help us figure out God's will for our, for our lives. So after Pentecost, it kind of replaced that process. So... Um, I kind of thought that was just fun information to know. But that's not the point of what I want to say. <laughs> the point of this passage is that the disciples relied on prayer to make their decision. They had a lot to figure out, and they were already placing an emphasis on the importance of prayer to guide them. When we join the church, we promise to uphold the church by our prayers. In all of our differences, in all of our disagreements, prayer is meant to unite us as the church. So obviously we should be in prayer for ourselves and for what's going on in our lives. But we should also be in prayer for each other and what is going on in other people's lives as well. It's why we devote ourselves to a time of prayer in our services um, each week. It's not to share the latest, juiciest gossip to find out what's going on. The point is to uphold each other through prayer, to collectively share our burdens and our joys as a community. We should be in prayer for the church, for our local church. God wants our churches to thrive and we should devote ourselves to praying for our local churches to always be thinking about the mission of our, to our community in the world, praying that we make disciples of Jesus Christ 
for the transformation of the world. We should be praying for the larger universal church, both the larger United Methodist Church and the uh, universal church of all believers, no matter their denomination. That is how heavy our commitment and our vow to prayer is. We should be in prayer for those who believe and for those who don't believe. We should be in prayer for those we have baptized, but we've not quite brought into membership yet. Praying that they will someday grow up to know Jesus for themselves and to be able to want to join the church. We should be in prayer for those who have long since joined our church, but no longer come for whatever reason. And prayer is important for our times of decision-making. All that we do should be bathed in prayer. When we pray over our decisions, it reminds us to put aside our wills, our motivations, our agendas, and to focus on God first. When we put God first through prayer, we become God's church, and we become the church together. And we become the church in prayer every time we come together at the Lord's table. We put aside our differences and remind ourselves that as different as we all are, we are all still one in Christ. In our liturgy, we as the church join in prayer as we remember God's actions in the history of our tradition. And we look forward with joy and hope for what God will continue to do through us. We should be in constant prayer that the God who is at work making the ordinary bread and juice extraordinary will be at work in our ordinary lives, helping us to do extraordinary acts in his name. And it all starts with joining together in prayer. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you.